0: This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with Gabriel Valdivia, I asked him what's the best advice he's been given about design. I would say that you focus on the problem and not the solution. That's probably the best advice. You know, as designers, we often get attached to our work and we see it almost as a reflection of ourselves. and we find a solution that we see is sexy or or inspiring or or really something we'd like to see in the world. And that kind of distracts us from signal that tells us that might not be the best solution. So if you focus on a problem and you can from there iterate on numerous solutions for that problem, then that usually leads to to better work. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to The Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome back to The Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. No other email service provider is better when it comes to both functionality as well as customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a really great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it super easy for you to find that domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Have you heard about Revolve Conference? This conference takes place October 26th through the 28th in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's the place to be for talks on experience design, business, marketing, and how they're all related. We're working with Revolve to offer RevisionPath listeners a chance to win three free tickets to attend. Each ticket includes full access to all sessions and activities throughout the conference, including breakfast and lunch. For more information on how you can win free tickets to Revolve Conference, join our Slack community. There'll be a link in the show notes. We're going to be doing a drawing for these free tickets on October the 12th during our AMA chat, our October AMA. So if you want to make sure that you're part of that giveaway, please join our Slack community and you'll find information about that. And speaking of giveaways, we're also giving away a copy of Rip the Resume which is a new book by recruiter Torrin Ellis. If you're looking for a job, then Rip the Resume will help you become a more attractive candidate to job seekers. We'll put a link in the show notes for the giveaway. That is also going to be on October the 12th, and we'll announce the winners during our October AMA with Torrin, so stay tuned for news on that. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're still holding steady at 39 patrons for a combined total of $267 per month again thanks to everyone that has pledged your support and your appreciation for the show if you really enjoy what we're doing here at revision path if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show or if you've gotten any value from listening please consider becoming a patron you'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes early access to future blog posts and free revision path goodies just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen Plus level start at just $1 per month, and it's a really great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's get on to this week's interview. I'm talking with Lynn Muldrow, a project manager and front-end developer for Hack the Hood. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, my name is Lynn Muldrow, and I am a technical manager for Hack the Hood. Um, I help out with the curriculum planning, creation, and different programs for our youth age 16 to 24.
0: Okay, so it's it's kind of, I guess, a little bit more than youth. You're also kind of helping out young adults, too. Absolutely. Yep. Talk to me about Hack the Hood. I mean, aside from just the general work that you do there, what does the organization do and how did you get started with them?
1: Sure. Hack the Hood is a organization that helps low-income youth of color to gain tech skills. We teach a variety of different things in regards to like microaggression, programming languages, and things of that nature to students age 16 to 24. Right now, we are rolling out with actually year-round programming. We do have a boot camp component that runs for six weeks over the summer, but we are rolling out with a year-round membership program that allows our students to essentially get fast-tracked into the tech industry, whether through a career or education. What I do there... I am the technical manager, again, so I help out with the year-round curriculum. I help to write HTML and CSS. I help to facilitate partners coming in. We have partners like WordPress and Mozilla who have offered to come in and teach our students. So they come in and share advice and things about their companies. And I help out just with general programming stuff in and around the tech skills that we give our students. So what's kind of a regular day like for you then? Ooh, it's hectic. Um, a regular day would consist of a couple of meetings. I typically do some calls just to plan different partnerships and to get curriculum for certain topics. I'm writing curriculum on a near daily basis and talking with different team members just to plan out different parts that we'd be offering, different pathways. So a lot of different meetings and things around that.
0: And how long now have you been with them?
1: I want to say on and off for about a year. I actually started with them in 2015, where I came in to do instruction for their boot camp last year. I did that for about three months, and then I came back to on board this year in June to work permanently.
0: And now it's just there in the Bay Area. Do you have are there other
1: chapters throughout the country or anything? Right now, we're just in Oakland, but we are looking to expand in the near future. So hopefully we'll be nationwide pretty soon.
0: There's a a similar type group that's out there called the Interact Project. I don't know if you've heard of them. I haven't. Can you tell me more about it? Yeah. So the Interact Project is headed up by Maurice Woods. He's a, a graphic designer, former professional basketball player. Okay. And he basically teaches inner city kids i want to say they're maybe from ages like six to 14 i may be off there but they're like right around that age okay and teaches them about design and concepts about design and things like that he's been out there i want to say for about 10 years now wow okay um i would imagine there's probably maybe a lot of types of when i think of those types of of services like what you do with hack the hood with interact project
1: with code 2040 a lot of that is kind of in and around the Bay Area? Um, there is a lot of overlap with a lot of different organizations that do work that is very similar to what we do. One of the ways that we're trying to actually connect with different organizations like this is to have meetups where we all come together share our practices and hopefully do some programming together. So I'm really happy that you introduced that program to me. I hadn't heard about it before, but I would love to reach out to them to, you know, start a conversation so that we can see how we can provide, you know, focused design programming to our students as well.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll set up that introduction for you. After we do this, I'll do that.
1: I appreciate that.
0: So with all these, you know, kind of different groups out there, do you feel like they are making an impact in terms of I guess the the workforce or just the general perception around people of color in tech do you think it's it's helping?
1: That is a very layered question and I think that We are doing a lot of good work for the next generation. When you think about like what Code 2040 is doing, what Black Girls Code is doing, the Hidden Genius Project and the like, we're all sort of working to prepare the next generation. And it's not to say we've given up on this one, but there are (laughs) a lot of like multi-layered things that happens, you know, in workforce, you know, in the office that is going to be really hard to counteract. So I think that Our focus, you know, collectively is on preparing students, you know, not only to have the skills that are necessary, but to understand the climate that they're going to be getting into. And I think in that way, we are definitely making an impact and moving students up to be ready to get in. We, you know, at Hack the Hood have sent, you know, a lot of students through to like General Assembly and things. And, you know, they're not without like... um, problems, you know, and sort of bumps in the road in terms of like diversity issues and things of that nature, but we help to get them there. And from there, we hope to inspire more youth of color to get into the industry. So that way, you know, maybe in in 10 more years, we'll see a different environment and different culture and it'll be more welcoming in the tech industry.
0: And there is, you know, a lot of conversation around, you know, I guess what it's like being a person of color in the tech industry in Silicon Valley. I feel like that's mm-hmm. when I when I hear about that, it's mainly just out of that particular area. Right. How do you get that next generation excited? I mean, I know of course it's through it's through programs like mm-hmm. what you're doing, but is there something else that people that are outside of that bubble can do?
1: Absolutely. It all starts with the skills and and the training, you know, getting students to know that it's not as hard as it seems that you know programming and being proficient in that those sorts of things are they they're, they're um, I don't want to say easy, but uh, they're not inaccessible. I think that a lot of the work that we do is in inspiring and motivating the students to know that they have the power to create and giving students the power to create, I think is, something that will help them to get into the industry more than they have been. So I I think there's a lot of talk about like this pipeline issue and, and those sorts of things. And it's not so much that students aren't exposed, but it's that there's a lack of sort of motivation around getting into the industry because it feels so exclusionary. So we try to work to sort of change that. And I think, you know, people in different areas can do the same, you know, introducing, if you're a software developer and you have this knowledge, introduce it to, you know, your local YMCA, offer to teach a class on something that, you know, whether it be programming design or anything in the industry, give knowledge back to students, you know, in your local high schools. In that way, you're showing that, you know, I'm a person of color who's doing this, you can do it too. And sometimes that's the only, you know, that's, the only source of motivation that a student will need to want to learn more or want to Mm -hmm. grow. So, Are the students telling you all anything that they want to do? The students have such varied interests, and it always makes me really happy to see and to hear about the things they're interested in. A lot of students – we don't just have students who are solely like, I want to be a programmer, I want to be a developer, I want to be a designer. We have students who want to get into the fashion industry. I had students just this summer who were very interested. They, they had their own online stores, and they, you know, from the boot camp were interested in doing websites for others um, and in creating e-commerce sites because of, you know, their experience in building a site for themselves and wanting to build for other people, um, So, you know, we have fashion, we have a lot of students who are interested in, like, music, and we try to, you know, give students different pathways and saying, you know, you can go and be the next big rap star, but you can also be the next big rap star who really knows SEO, who builds websites for other aspiring artists, and those sorts of things, so that they'll have, you know, more in their arsenal when they go and pursue their dreams. To you,
0: what does it mean to work in tech today? And I say this from the vantage point of you teaching kids, but Mm -hmm. also as someone who is a developer, who also works in the industry, what does that mean to you today to work in this industry?
1: For me, I think it means to be given the space to be creative and work in an industry that is very forward thinking, that moves really quickly, and that gives you an opportunity to make an impact. Now, whether those things are actually true for everyone's day-to-day is very relative. Um, I think mm-hmm. that working in the space that I'm able to work in, you know, tech but also nonprofit, gives me an opportunity to have that instant gratification of actually seeing, you know, the work that I do make an impact on other people in the ecosphere. But I think that, you know, some others may just be doing a small thing that is within a bigger Picture that maybe will help in the long run, but it's not necessarily true that you know everyone who jumps in the tech industry is going to you know totally make a difference and be creative because it's also code monkey work and you know just working yeah. on a single thing for months and then that thing being scrapped and having to work on another thing. So it's not all like you know rainbows and unicorns, but you know it is an industry where if you would like, you can make a difference. It's a lot of um, money in the industry too, so. Now, you're in Oakland. What is the scene
0: like there just in general? I know when people think of the Bay, they think of San Francisco. They think of, you know, San Jose, Mountain View, et cetera, that area. But for you in Oakland, what is it like for you in terms of, I guess, the technology community?
1: The tech community in Oakland is very open to me, and I think it is way more inclusive. I think that there is a sort of a spirit of activism and social justice here That colors, you know, what people do, what people are interested in as it regards the tech industry. There's a lot of nonprofit, you know, mobilization. And so there are different pathways into tech. I feel like Silicon Valley is sort of very corporate in a way or anti-corporate, I guess, in the way that companies are run. But they're very stuffy. Whereas the the companies and things in Oakland feel a little bit more open, a little bit more focused on people and experiences and things of that nature. So I've found that going to meetups and things in and around the tech industry here in Oakland is a very vast difference from going to things across the bridge in San Francisco. So it's really a welcoming, a more welcoming community, I would say, than that of Silicon Valley. But it does have you know, the same sort of echoes because we are very close together.
0: When did you first kind of get your first spark with technology? Like what made you want to pursue this full time?
1: And that goes way back to like being 14 and being on AOL 3.0 and being in chat rooms and talking mess. (laughs) You know, and and those sorts of things. Um, I've always sort of been a computer nerd from way back, and I was always really interested in computers, how they work, how you can create such cool things. Um, I got interested in web design back in, I want to say like 2007. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and I really liked making profile pages and things of that nature. Black Planet and stuff were very big inspirations for me. MySpace, and I used to make pages for others, and from there I sort of self-taught. I went on like Khan Academy and Linda and things like that to learn, and I started doing freelance work. From freelance work, I did that for about seven years, and from there I really got motivated to learn development. I wanted to learn how to create things on my own because at that you know when I was freelancing, I did a lot of WordPress and different other cms platforms so after learning sort of how to develop it's it just sort of went from there and i really just i really love um being able to have an idea and then create it it's a lot of power in that would
0: you say that's kind of the best thing about what you do absolutely
1: yes (laughs) it's so cool to be able to you know just sit down and say hey I, i really think that there should be this in the world and figure out how to make that thing and you know, have the opportunity to have that thing funded and then out into the world. It's really a lot of opportunity there and it excites me. So, yeah. So what languages are you working with primarily? Primarily I do HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. So I work in the front end, but I also do a lot of like Ruby on Rails, Ruby, and I'm learning Python right now. So I can do front and back end, but HTML, CSS, and JavaScript are my bread and butter.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that's pretty flexible to be able to to do both. Do you find Mm -hmm. that being out there, you're really using both of those skills equally?
1: I think that because I have more of a preference for and because I started sort of design heavy first, I use a lot of the front end skill more than I do the back. But I think there's a lot of value, again, in having knowledge of the full stack because you're able to, again, you know, have that idea and make it you know from front to back you have a lot of ownership Mm -hmm. in that so
0: so you write a lot on medium about diversity and about other issues and of course we're going to talk about diversity and technology Mm -hmm. there's two posts in general that I was reading through that really stuck out to me okay the first one was this is what diversity in tech looks like which is the latest post that you've done that I think has really started to go viral Mm -hmm. and the second piece is I often forget that I'm a lesbian (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> talk to
1: me about those two pieces, because I thought that was a really interesting kind of juxtaposition there. Can you talk about those two? Sure, absolutely. So the first piece, this is what diversity in tech looks like, was simply my experiences in my first year as a web developer. So it sort of talks about you know, where I was before I started with web development, which at that time I was... I'm living in Maryland Baltimore is where i'm from and i was making you know a little bit under $30,000 as someone who was a customer support person for uber you know fast forward a year i had several different experiences in you know the tech industry that were racist um that were homophobic that were a mixture of both and i just i shared them i shared them sort of you know, as they happened and and with screenshots and everything. And I guess it related to a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, I just, I had experiences that I'd never had before in any other, other like workplace or professional environment. And I just thought it was necessary to share them. I mean, there were things like one of my past bosses holding his eyes slanted and you know, calling people oriental to me being set in the back the way, you know, the back of an office and ignored and disregarded, you know, my work and also, you know, just my, my personhood. <laughs> um, so it was just a lot of things that I really just, if we're talking about diversity in tech and, you know, getting more people of color in the tech industry, they should know that these things do occur. And so that was sort of the basis of that piece. And then I often forget that I'm a lesbian. That piece was really just a response to what I observed when walking down the street holding my girlfriend's hand. You know, we take little things like that for granted and the world is very heteronormative. So doing something, you know, as little as holding my girlfriend's hand could be seen as a revolutionary act to some and to me it's just it's natural it's just what I want to do because I love her you know so it was just my reflections on you know how other people respond to things that should be normal as humans but is not because of society.
0: And now with the the former piece that we talked about Mm -hmm. the diversity piece Mm -hmm. you kind of really went in depth there and you talked about things that you know, they sort of mentioned in their regular Slack room mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Did they ever, after you left the company, did they ever
1: say anything to you? Do you feel like they've changed at all? I honestly, because they were a bit traumatic, the experiences, I didn't look back. I haven't really communicated with the company at all and they haven't communicated with me. And I'm I'm certain because I know that some people from the company do follow me on Twitter. I'm certain that they've seen it and read it. So, you know, I only shared experiences that were true for all of the companies that I spoke of. And I didn't name any companies in my piece. So well, I guess we'll just leave it there. But um, hopefully, <laughs> you know, hopefully they have seen it, read it, and really understood where change needs to happen. And if I could inspire that change, I'm, I'm really happy to have done so.
0: How do you think we can work on increasing diversity in the tech community? Because there seems to be these challenges mm-hmm. with identity just in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of where you fall in the spectrum of diversity, right. there's always this sort of notion that there's not enough. Right, right. Like there's not enough, you know, lesbians or there's Mm -hmm. not enough black lesbians, for example. How do you feel that we can start
1: to bridge that gap given those challenges? I feel like making spaces more inclusive for populations that you see there aren't enough of is a really good start. In the examples that I gave in my previous, you know, work environments, it was mostly white men and whether or not that is going to be the norm for someone's company, they can recognize that, hey, you know, our company is full of white men. We probably have, you know, a set culture that may not be welcoming to people who aren't white men. We should recognize that and maybe make it comfortable for everyone to be here, not just white men. And that Mm -hmm. way, you know, if people had that sort of train of thought, maybe others would would feel more welcome in their environments. You know, I mean, I just, I think, making spaces more inclusive and, you know, being very mindful of different cultures and being open to them will start to help with diversity and tech because, you know, given experiences, it's, it's like right now in the industry, it's like, if I jump in as this black woman, lesbian, you know, web developer, I know that I already have things that I, I'll have to deal with in the workplace because it's not going to, accept me for who and what I am so you know there are concessions that people have to make and it needs to get to a place where people don't feel like that like where they have to make moral decisions and taking a job (laughs) you know so I think once we can sort of recognize that there's a problem with the cultures at work and start to do things to make it more comfortable for everybody then more people will want to join the industry one and two excuse me giving more access to those who do appear underrepresented, whether that be through training or job assistance or things like that, I think would help to increase diversity in tech.
0: Now, recently you attended the White House. Mm -hmm. There was an LGBTQ tech and innovation summit there. Mm -hmm.
1: How was it? It was awesome. I really enjoyed being able to network with such amazing minds. There were so many people there from different companies who did such amazing things. It just... It was super exciting to not only like be able to speak with them, you know, face to face, but also to be in the White House. Like <laughs> it was, it was really cool. It was one of my goals to sort of get there before the Obamas left office. So I'm really happy to be able to do so. And uh, what was your biggest takeaway from it? I think the biggest takeaway would be the connections that I made there. We talked about how to solve different real world problems, and I learned that there are a lot of government sort of entities that are working with people in the tech industry to solve these problems. So I wish I had offhand the name of the resources that I learned about, but there were several that um, developers could jump into to volunteer to. 18F is one of them, where you know we can give our input into things that need to be solved for the government and for society. So I really thought that was cool. Those resources and just again, networking with such amazing people. I got a ton of business cards and a lot of connections that I plan to use in the future. So, did any of them follow up with you yet? Absolutely, yeah. We have um, nice. a few connections in the work with Hack the Hood and some personal connections that can't wait to explore more. Nice. Yeah. So
0: what kind of projects are you working on now? I mean, aside from Hack the Hood, are you doing any personal work,
1: anything? Personally, I am working on a music tech project. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because my business partners will tap my hands. But um, (laughs) we're working on like a a music tech product, sort of-ish, like Apple Music, but focusing on indie artists and artists in general with like – physical components to it. So that's all I can probably say, but uh, it's taken, it's a labor of love and it's really fun and I can't wait to push it out to the public.
0: How do you approach a new project? Like say it's for Hack the Hood or it's a personal project. How do you approach it? Is it in different ways?
1: Well, I sort of have one path that I follow and it's typically like have a crazy brainstorming session and get really super excited about the thing, right? copious notes and tell everybody about the thing and then sort of jump headfirst into it. So with my personal projects, it started just from an idea. You know, we had an idea about, you know, having a platform for indie artists. And from that idea was just this crazy brainstorming session where just a lot of different ideas around that idea sort of came out. We took a lot of notes on it and then we really just started breaking it down into pieces and you know, working on those pieces one by one, and in that way, you know, coming together and bringing those pieces together and pushing out a project is sort of how I do things.
0: What has been the most useful piece of advice that you've been given, and what was that
1: advice? Um, there were two, and I know this is a quote that has been kicked around a lot. But when I was uh, younger, I think I was like nineteen. One of my mentors told me to be the change I wish to see in the world. And I think, again, that's a quote that has been, you know, shared widely. And it's a, a, one of those cliche quotes. But, you know, I really sort of took it to heart. And all of the things that I do, I try to make sure that I'm, I'm doing them to motivate others to do good. So I think what I'm doing with Hack the Hood really aligns with that. And then the second one, again, another cliche quote, was just sort of never to let anyone stop you or dissuade you from pursuing what you want to do. I've had such experiences uh, in the tech industry so far in terms of like you know interviewing and you know having the ex- the experience of you know unemployment and, and trying to push past that and being a junior developer and what that means in the industry and trying to push past that you know it's been a lot of times where I felt like, you know why bother? Why why don't I just go into another industry? It'll be easier, that sort of thing. But you know, keeping in the back of my mind that I'm doing this to inspire the next generation is what keeps me motivated and keeps me going. So I think you know those two quotes, "Be the change I wish to see in the world," and "and never let anybody pers- you know stop you from pursuing your dreams," are things that help me you know to keep going when things are rough or when it gets too hard or when something seems unattainable. So yeah.
0: What is the biggest compromise that you
1: feel you've had
0: to make in order to kind of get to the point in your career where you are now?
1: And I know, Maurice, you know this from the Slack channel, but I have a bit of a mouth (laughs) with me. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a lot of opinions about things. And the biggest compromise that I think I've had to make so far has been to keep some of my opinions to myself. There are so many ways that I think we can improve the tech industry. And there are so many different things that I think we could do to make it a more inclusive, a more welcoming industry. And I've learned to sit on some of the things that I feel we could do in order to get to a place where I needed to be to be able to motivate others. So yeah, the biggest compromise would definitely have to be my activist spirit. But in it all, I think I'm I'm, you know, moving forward so that I can, again, reach back and help others who have helped me and, and to motivate others to get in the industry. Yeah. So
0: I don't know, I feel like once I, I turn 30, that whole, you know, just BS meter mm-hmm. just shot up to 100. In fact, like, yes. you can spot it when it's coming a mile away from people, you just don't have the time to deal with people's extraness mm-hmm. when it comes to things. You know, sometimes you just need to get the work done. You don't need a life story behind it. Because what they tell you in the industry is, you know, be yourself. Right. Let your personality shine through. But is that something that we can afford to do and still get work? Absolutely like, not. Yeah. We can't curse people out on Twitter no. and then get a promotion, or, or the or another example that was in the the piece was um. You know, we can't pose nude and then get awards. Like <laughs>
1: Absolutely not. We're to held Which which has happened. You know, we're held to a different standard. Yeah. Exactly. We are held to that papa pope. You know, you have to be twice as good to get half as what they have things. So, you know, no, we can't be ourselves. And there's this big push to be your authentic self at work and that sort of thing. And I think that's a great push, but it's not realistic because we won't be accepted as our authentic self. And to be accepted sometimes means a paycheck, you know? So it's like, yeah. you know, you have to sort of conform to industry standard this and that to be able to be seen. And once you're able to get to a place where you can be yourself, you know, then then you should do that. But I feel like the industry is is there's a bunch of privilege that others have that we don't. And so we do have to be sensitive to that. So I think, you know, being in relation to that blog, being a weird designer is cool, but being a paid designer who is able to get to a place where they can be weird is, is a little better. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, Cause like you said,
0: you just, sometimes you have to, I don't know, swallow your pride in order to get exactly that check so you can pay the rent or so you can eat or something
1: right? Exactly. <laughs> or and something like that. It sucks that you have to compromise that way, but it's, this is what it is right now, you know, and it's not different from other industries. So right. I think, you know,
0: just, and, and I mean, for, for people that are listening, I want to be, you know, what, what Lynn and I are talking about, mm-hmm. I want to be clear. We're not talking about, you know, going to work and, you know, clearing everything off the desk and being like raging angry or anything. Right. But I think we all know that it's sometimes just not set up for us to bring ourselves to work 100%. Right. I, I know when I was a kid and I would, I probably just saw this from my mom. I mean, she certainly had how she acted at home, and mm-hmm. how she acted at work. She had a different tone, demeanor, everything at home. And then at work, it was, completely different, yep. different voice, different mannerisms, just completely different. And I saw that. And even when I went to go, you know, work at places, I always felt like there was there were certain parts of me that I could bring to work. Right. And there were other parts that I either was not comfortable with bringing to work mm-hmm. or I just just didn't, for example. Like, I know that there's this big thing about, you know, when you work at places, you want to be friends with your coworkers. Right. And I've always just saw my coworkers as coworkers. Exactly. If we're friends, that's great. That's like icing on the cake, mm-hmm. but like I don't have to like you to work with you. It helps. Yeah. But it's not a, a requirement. And so I would go to work and do my job and go home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's it. But then, you know, it comes around. It's like, oh, well, Maurice is not a team player. Right. And, exactly. And Maurice isn't this and that. And I'm like, because I'm not like sitting around talking about last night's whatever. I mean, I came to work to work. And I don't know if that's like learned behavior that I just saw from my parents, or if this is just kind of how the the work society is set up. You know, it's, it's weird like that.
1: Yeah, it is super weird. And especially in like Silicon Valley and stuff, they expect you to be within the culture that they've set. So like if the culture is like casual Fridays and taco Tuesdays and free beer Wednesdays, they expect you to participate in all of that. And if that's not who you are, you know, if you're not a free beer Wednesday type of person, or if you just don't feel like, you know, being all smiley and stuff, (laughs) you know, when that's not really, you know, what you came to work to do, then you shouldn't have to feel that way. But that is how, you know, that culture sort of tries to push you to be that way. In the Medium post, I, I mentioned, you know, a lot of times, there would be times when the the bulk of my coworkers would go out to lunch and they would go to places that I don't, you know, eat at. And they would invite me to these places. And I'm like, but I've expressed that I don't go there. And so the perception was that I was being sort of like antisocial when it mm-hmm. wasn't that way. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's different ways of being yourself i think because we're in a field that promotes creative work but we have to be mindful of you know the cultures that we're in and there's a lot of code switching that happens and it's just a fact of life so not to be negative about the industry but yeah yeah it's what it is (laughs) well no that's true it's
0: that's you know that's what it is now you have have kids right you have two
1: kids i have two kids age four and eight aaron and ayana yeah
0: are they interested? I mean I know those are those are young ages, but are they interested in what mommy is doing? Do they want to
1: go into the tech field? Absolutely so. My daughter has already learned a bit of programming. And my son really likes to play, like, pro- like block programming games. Um, and sorry, my kitty's in the background and my son is sitting <laughs> next to me. But, um, <laughs> yes, they, they really are super interested in just learning more. My daughter likes building websites. She has her own little website. She's building out a YouTube channel right now. And so, yeah, they're interested in the tech industry. And it's not my doing. I'm just giving them the tools. <laughs> hmm
0: do you think that the industry is going to be better for them than it was for you?
1: I hope so. And that is honestly what my work is focused on, and making a better situation in general for them. I would like to see, you know, the diversity rates and the percentage rates and stuff of diversity in the companies at least exceed like 60%, 70% by the time that they're, you know, old enough to join the industry. So it is my hope, really, that that. changes and that it is more welcoming and open to them.
0: What are you kind of excited about at the moment? I mean, it could be something you're working on that at work right now or anything.
1: I'm really excited about the personal project that I'm working on. I'm also really excited about South by South Line. I don't know if you heard about it, but it's like a one day music festival or something at the White House. Yeah, it sounds really cool. So it's definitely something that I hope that I'll be able to get to. And just excited to see what's coming. I'm really, really excited about ARVR. I'm glad that everyone else is sort of jumping into it. I've been a virtual world nerd for like 10 or 11 years now. Okay. So I'm really glad to hear that there's been more development in that space. And just excited to see what's happening next.
0: And when you say AR-VR, you mean augmented reality, virtual reality? Yes. Right. Okay. Just making sure for yeah. people are listening. No worries. And I know that that is something that really has started to pop up. I, I swear within the past two years, I've been seeing everything VR related mm-hmm. coming up. and It's it's I don't know. I mean, I'm sort of interested in it. Like I have a Google Cardboard and I've mm-hmm. watched a few things, but I don't know if it's, I'm not going to say it's a fad, but right. I'm like, I don't know if, if this is where everything is sort of pushing towards in terms of, of immersive experiences, yeah. With virtual reality, I mean, I think we're all getting some sense of aug- augmented reality through games like mm-hmm. Pokemon Go. Certainly, that's caught the world by storm when it came out. Right. Um, but yeah,
1: virtual reality, I don't know if I'm sold on it yet. I think it's one of those things that will keep coming around in history. It keeps coming around like every 10 years or so. And we get interested in it for like a second and then we're like, yeah, never mind. So, <laughs> you know, maybe this time is where it's going to stick. But it's sort of hard to tell right now. I think augmented reality, though, is something that's going to be around for a while as new things come out. I've been really closely following it and I've seen like apps that will tell you as you're walking down the street, you know, the prices and the menu list of things, you know, popping up in front of your face as you walk down the street, for instance, or different apps that are useful and that will give you information on the fly without you having to Google now, just, you know, those things popping up. I I would hate for it to get to, what's that movie, Idiocracy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would hate for it to get to that level. But I do (laughs) see, like, the uses in it right now. And I see that there's a lot of, like, you know, VC-funded stuff happening around it. So I think that that's going to stick. VR, not so sure, but we'll see
0: yeah I know when I go to restaurants now mm-hmm. I'll get a little Google notification they just they already know where I am mm-hmm. and they're like, here's the menu I'm like I didn't tell you where I'm at <laughs> right and that's the I didn't do GPS directions mm-hmm. how do you know that I'm here you know it's yeah it's a little freaky but it's it can I can see where it could be useful exactly. and I would imagine out there it's probably tenfold oh, what it is here in the south in terms of just the number of services mm-hmm. and and things like that. There
1: are so many services popping up like every day. So many apps that I've downloaded and tried that are different, but they they offer like different information and stuff like that, but they're all really cool. I hope that, you know, there's more innovation that happens from other places in the country, please. (laughs) Because not all of the, you know, Super smart people are in Silicon Valley. There are people everywhere. People of color. I hope we'll start making more AR VR things, so that we have things that reflect our experiences. Yeah, I hope there's more innovation around the country. For
0: a long time, and it's, it still is the case. Mm-hmm. You know, people look at Silicon Valley as the destination. Like that's
1: where. Mm-hmm everyone wants to end up being I mean you moved out how long has it been since you've been out there I just moved back out here in June but I was here last year in San Francisco so yeah
0: okay Mm -hmm. so do you feel like it's just a different atmosphere there than somewhere else when you're trying to do the same kind of level of work I feel like if you
1: want to build an app And have an app company or if you have a product idea that you want to get off the ground, here is where you need to be. I feel like there is just so much more opportunity for you to get venture capitalist funding. There's so many more opportunities for you to bump into or network with people who can get your business idea off the ground here. This is not necessarily the place where all innovation happens, like I said, and where all the good ideas come from and that sort of thing. I totally believe that is false. (laughs) Um, But I do think that if you want to get your idea going, or if you want to really see some traction quickly, here is the place that you'd want to be, if not just for networking or being around other people who are in that same mindset. I've seen a lot of people, people from my class, at General Assembly, people, you know, around me that have had an idea and have gotten it funded within, like, the span of a year and are currently, like, working on that project. And it was just from, like, an idea. And, you know, how many people around the country have great ideas and, you know, have been working on them for years but have not, you know, like, seen any traction? You know, I think that it's, it's a great place for that here. Um, but I would debate, you know, that this is the place where all ideas happen. They they can happen anywhere. I think that here it's just easier to get them off the ground.
0: Yeah, it sort of sounds like it's just a big accelerator for anything that you're trying to do. Exactly,
1: yeah.
0: Do you feel that that is also the case when it comes to diversity efforts? Because I I hear a lot of (laughs) diversity stuff coming out of the Bay, which it feels kind of weird that it's coming out of a place where there's so little diversity just in terms of demographics. Exactly. If if that makes any sense. It
1: does, yeah. I think that there is a lot of good motivation to change and to promote diversity in tech in a real way. But there is not a lot of good action behind that motivation. (laughs) And I think that because we have a higher concentration of tech companies and the big names here, there's more motivation. And because those numbers are public, there's more motivation to rectify them. But I think that diversity in tech is something that should be observed across the board. When I worked at places in Baltimore, diversity in tech was a huge issue. And it was an issue that was even worse out there because it was an expectation that a lot of people of color are not getting into the industry. So there were no accommodations or no considerations of different cultures in those work environments. So I think that you know, if we're looking at Silicon Valley as like this bastion of, of innovation and stuff like that, some of those lessons and some of the things that people have been trying to do, like conferences and things of that nature can be examples for, you know, other parts of the country. But I think that we, you know, because of the bad diversity numbers here, people shouldn't look to Silicon Valley as like an example. Um, I think that, you know, just having considerations of personal bias and considerations of bias in the workplace and things are great starts. Um, it doesn't have to be examples from here, because I think that we have a problem with diversity here that we need to work mm-hmm. on in-house before we can, like, motivate the rest of the country to do the same.
0: I see. I, yeah. I, I, I'm glad that you answered that in a very political <laughs> way. I know exactly what you mean, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad you answered it. That. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Who have been some of the mentors or people that have really helped you out through your journey as a developer? Man,
1: there's been so many. Um, Susan Marinette has been awesome. She's the CEO of Hack the Hood. Zakia Harris, co-founder of Hack the Hood, have both been, like, I look up to them. They're my inspirations, and they're also really in tune with, like, what's happening and how to change things and how to motivate the next generation. They really inspire me, to do my best. And then there were people at General Assembly, Tom Ogletree, excuse me, who's really doing a lot of work with trying to get more people of color to gain access to General Assembly and to tech skills. He's an awesome guy and has really helped me out. And the team at General Assembly in San Francisco had really always sort of been there for me to, you know, or help me to get, you know, different positions and things of that nature. So yeah, they've been really, really integral in helping me to grow.
0: What do you think you would have done if you never went this route, if you just weren't that interested in development or you never kind of stumbled into it? What do you think you'd be doing?
1: Hmm. I think I'd probably be working on freelancing and hopefully an entrepreneur, just sort of getting ideas that I had off the ground. I think I would have eventually gravitated toward development at some point or nonprofit work. I think I've been called to both those areas. So, Those are where I think I would be.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next five years or so? I know you, like you said, you just kind of made it back out there. Do you think you'll be staying? Where do you kind of see yourself?
1: In the next five years, I would hope to still be in Oakland. I really would love to see some of the programs that I helped to build with Hack the Hood sort of, you know, become national. I would hope to still sort of be in the industry and still motivating youth to get in and still increasing tech access and things of that nature. And also in the next five years, hopefully um, my personal project would have gotten off the ground and I've seen some traction there.
0: Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and
1: about your work online? I'm online at lindmoldro.com with one N, on Twitter at lynnmuldrow.com and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Muldrow one So I sort of update those periodically, and <laughs> you can find me there.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, Lynn Muldrow, thank you again for taking time out of your day just to talk to me about the work that you're doing with, with Hack the Hood, the work that you're doing out there. And also I think it was good to hear kind of what went on at that LGBTQ Tech and Innovation Summit. Yeah. I know that there were a couple of people out there that actually have been on Revision Path before, so it's good to kind of get everyone's individual perspectives as to how the event was. But aside from all of that, I think just that the work that you're doing specifically with helping the next generation to make sure that they're interested and active and excited about this field, that's really where, that's where I think the work for all of us in the current generation should be pointing towards, because this is still a relatively new industry Yep. And because of that, I think, you know, a lot of the problems that we have are I don't want to say they're growing pains, but it kind of feels that way just because we're a young industry. But, you know, I would think that our goal is to try to make the industry better Absolutely. for every generation after our own. So I definitely applaud you for doing that work. So thank you again so much. I appreciate thank
1: it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thoughts of love are in
0: your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Lynn Muldrow and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lynn and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. The attitude might be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain names. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two, and it really does help the show by bumping us up in those iTunes rankings for design podcasts and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month, and you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.